Hey everybody, my name is Kaylin Mossholder and I'm one of the pastors here at Santa Maria Foursquare. Did you know that one of the first thing people ask me when they find out that I'm a pastor is how old I am? Well, that's okay, I get it. Maybe I have a baby face, I look kinda young. <laughs> but I actually graduated high school nine years ago. And for me, that seems like a long time. Maybe for you, you still think that's really young, but that's okay. I'm thankful for the experiences that God has brought me through to lead me to where I am today. And today, I'm actually gonna talk to you about something that I learned when I was a freshman in high school. In high school, I was really good at math. When I was a junior, I actually tutored a college student in math. And when I was a freshman, I was in geometry. And I graduated that year with about 110% in the class. I really liked working through the problems. When the teacher would give us a problem to work through, I would write it all down and I liked figuring it all out. But I learned that some people did not like to work out the problems. I remember that the teacher would give us a problem, I would write it down, I would work as much as I could on it, and then when I was done, I would look up and the people that were sitting around me weren't doing anything. They had waited for me to finish my work so that they could take my answer. I remember as a little freshman, I, was, I felt bad. I was like, why are these people cheating? But I knew that I put in my hard work and that I was solving the problems that were put in front of me. And that's when I started to realize that there are two kinds of people. There are two kinds of people in math class and two kinds of people in our world. The first kind are those who are problem solvers. The second kind are those who are problem avoiders. Some people jump right in and work through the problem to find an answer. While others wait, they put off making a decision, they leave the problem alone, they try to ignore it, and either they hope it goes away or they wait for someone else to figure it out. Most of us know what I'm talking about, even if it wasn't in your math class. But the Bible makes it clear to us how the church should approach solving problems. So if you have your Bible with you today, would you turn to Acts chapter 6? We've been reading through Acts these past few weeks, and we've been learning about the first church. We know that Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross, rose again, and when he ascended into heaven, he left his 12 disciples. He filled them with his Holy Spirit, and he sent them out to spread the good news. And that's what was taking place in Acts chapter 6. However, this is also where we see some conflict start. So we're going to start reading in the first verse of chapter 6. This is what it says. As the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So we're going to start, stop right there, right after that first verse, and we're going to talk about a couple important things that are mentioned here. The first thing is that all of the people who were talked about in this verse were believers. They were all people who had chosen to follow Jesus. Some people like to think that the real issues in the world are only outside the church, but unfortunately, that's not the case. All churches face problems that can originate internally or externally. 
And that's why it's so important for the church to decide what stance to take when problems arise. The, th the second thing I want us to notice in this first verse is that there was a real problem being faced there. In the last weeks, we've talked about how the church in Acts would support one another. They would share everything so that no one was in need. And at that time, the widows were the ones who were in a lot of need. Being a widow meant that you didn't have anyone else to rely on for help. So if the widows weren't getting the food they needed from the food distribution, it was a real problem for them. The third thing I want us to realize is that the issue that was spoken about here was all about discrimination. The Greek believers had a problem with how the Greek widows were being treated by the Hebrew believers. We can see in the Bible that many of the internal problems the early church faced had to do with their diversity and the discrimination felt by different people groups within the church. This verse talks about how the believers were rapidly multiplying. Those believers came from a lot of different backgrounds, so there was bound to be great diversity among them. While diversity is a beautiful thing, the enemy tries to use it all the time to tear people apart and bring division. And that's what was happening in the early church. But that's also what we see happening in our world today. When there is great diversity, there are many ways that people can feel discriminated against. Often when we think of discrimination, it's based on race or skin color. And that is a real part of how people feel discriminated against. But there's also much more than that. Some people feel discriminated against because of their age. Like I said earlier, sometimes when people find out I'm a pastor, they look down on me because they think that I'm too young. But it also swings the other way. And some people feel looked down upon because they are older. Maybe you feel like your opinion wasn't taken seriously, or you felt like your voice wasn't heard because you were either too young or too old. Others feel discriminated against because of their gender. Maybe that was your case. Maybe you weren't allowed to play a certain sport or participate in a certain activity, or maybe you couldn't get the job you wanted because of your gender. Others feel discriminated against because of their social status, their marital status, or for so many other reasons. The Bible tells us that the devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. So he loves it when he is able to destroy our unity, especially the unity of the church. Because when that happens, when we as the church are all divided, the gospel isn't able to spread as far and as wide. In the early church in Acts, the believers were rapidly multiplying, and I think the devil got scared. So he tried to bring division through discrimination. But the story doesn't end there. So let's see what happens next. Let's pick up in verse 2 of chapter 6. In the first verse, people were complaining about the discrimination they felt. And then, starting in verse 2, it says this. So the twelve, which is referring to the disciples, also called the apostles, the twelve apostles called a meeting of all the believers. They said, 
We apostles should spend our time teaching the Word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. We can see from that scripture that the apostles were wise and they were leading the people well. So let's break it down into four things that the apostles did when confronted with this problem. The first thing that they did was that they chose to be problem solvers. Like I talked about earlier, you can either choose to be a problem solver or a problem avoider, and these apostles were not problem avoiders. They heard about the problem and they accepted that there was a problem instead of ignoring it and hoping that somebody else would figure it out. There's a saying that says, you can't win the battle by running away from it. And I think the apostles understood that. They knew the problem wasn't going to disappear if they ignored it. In fact, so much of the Bible talks about people who needed to face problems, and they decided to face these problems head on. For example, when the people of God were being held as slaves in Egypt, God sent Moses to face Pharaoh. But if Moses had run away from Pharaoh instead, the Israelites wouldn't have been set free the way God had planned. If David had run away from Goliath instead of going into battle against him, the people would have continued to live in fear. Later in history, when there was a plot to kill all the Jews, if Esther hadn't faced her fears and gone to see the king, all of her family would have been killed. There are countless stories like this in the Bible. In fact, the New Testament is basically filled with teachings and leaders who wrote letters to the churches to explain to them how they should face their problems. In the New Testament, there's a letter written by Paul to the Galatians. And as Paul is writing this letter, he talks about three men. He says that James, Peter, and John were known as pillars of the faith. And they were prominent leaders in the church. Many people looked to them as godly leaders and followed their example. However, in Galatians 2, Paul wrote that he noticed that Peter was being hypocritical in his actions and was discriminating against the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were the people that he was trying to reach. And so if he continued on in this way of being discriminating towards them, there would have been a lot of division in the church. So Paul wrote in his letter saying, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. 
Paul knew the importance of choosing to be a problem solver instead of running away from the issue. He knew that if the issue wasn't solved, many people would have turned away from the gospel of Jesus. So Paul chose to do the difficult thing and attack the problem face to face. And that's exactly what the 12 apostles did in Acts. They chose to be problem solvers. The second thing that they did is that they addressed the issue publicly. Instead of sweeping the issue under the rug, they did the exact opposite. They called a meeting of all the believers. Listen to that, all of the believers. Not only the ones who were complaining, but everyone. Sometimes when we face problems, we feel like it's best to just hide it and solve it as quietly as possible. But when there is an issue in the church that affects so many people, it has to be dealt with publicly. In that scripture that I just mentioned in Galatians about when Paul confronts Peter, it actually says a few verses later that he confronted Peter in front of all of the people that were there. And this wasn't so that he could put shame on Peter, but it was because many people had begun to follow Peter's example, and they were also being hypocritical. So Paul made it clear in front of everyone that what they were doing was wrong, and so that they could turn away from the sin that they were involved in. So that's an example of how this was dealt with in the church, but we also face these issues outside the church. Many of the problems that our world is facing today have to do with people who feel like they have been violated and discriminated against because the problems that they are dealing with aren't being taken seriously and aren't being addressed openly and honestly. If you've ever gone to someone with an issue that really concerned you and you were met with a response that told you just to keep it quiet, just don't bring it up, don't worry about it, it'll all work out. I bet you didn't feel very honored or cared for. Addressing an issue openly and publicly isn't only about solving a problem, it's also about honoring those who have been hurt. In Acts, I bet those Greek widows felt honored when those 12 disciples, the leaders of the church at the time, gathered all the people to come together to come up with a solution for their problem. It would have felt a lot different if the apostles had just gone to the widows and said, oh, sorry, widows, here's some extra food. Now go home and be quiet about it. If that happened, the widows probably wouldn't have felt very honored, they wouldn't have felt cared for, and the discrimination possibly would have continued. Instead of letting things continue the way that they were, the apostles shut it down by addressing the issue publicly. The third thing that the apostles did was that they proposed a solution. The apostles didn't gather the people and just talk about the issue and keep talking about it and just talk about it to death. So often, people like to talk about the problem and they like to talk about all that's wrong, but they never talk about the solution to the problem. But the apostles had a plan and they didn't just wanna talk about it. In fact, 
they didn't want to talk very much at all. Their whole conversation about the issue was recorded in the Bible in just four sentences. In the first sentence, they addressed the issue. The apostles should be teaching about God, not serving food. That's what they said. But don't get them wrong. They didn't consider serving food below them because Jesus had literally just been with these 12 disciples and taught them that to be a great leader, you must serve. So they knew the importance of serving, but they also knew that the enemy was trying to bring division among the people so that they would be distracted from sharing about Jesus. And the disciples weren't about to let that happen. So they addressed the problem. In the second sentence, they gave a solution. Already right there in the second sentence, they commissioned the people to select seven well-respected men who were full of the spirit and of wisdom. In the third sentence, they said that those seven men could have the responsibility. This sentence was used to explain how the solution would be implemented because the apostles knew that part of the solution was to give away responsibility and leadership. And then in the fourth sentence, they reiterated the importance of the apostles' role to pray and to teach. They accomplished a lot in literally four sentences. The widows felt cared for, people felt like they had been heard and understood, there was a solution proposed to the problem, and it was clear how the solution would be implemented. That is some good leadership right there, if they can do all of that in four sentences. Maybe you're sitting right there and you're thinking, I'd prefer if her preaching was only four sentences and would solve all of my problems, but at least my preaching is only four points long. So let's get to that last point. The fourth thing that the apostles did is they prayed. They didn't just give a solution, but they literally prayed over the solution itself. They didn't just select seven people and hope that they figured it all out and it would just all work out on its own. They literally stopped everything to lay their hands on these seven men and pray for their service. These men were just going to be serving food, which might seem like a, the lowest job possible. But the apostles knew that this solution was going to bring back unity within the church, and they wanted to invite God's power into the situation. I think that this is one of the most vital steps of the problem-solving process that often gets overlooked. However, I believe that it's because of the prayer that they got the results that they did. When, while the apostles were very wise in the way that they handled the problems that arose, I believe that it was because of the prayer that God's message continued to spread and the number of believers increased. Even Jewish priests began to believe in Jesus. That's incredible. And that can only be attributed to God's power. When we face our own problems, I think prayer is often skipped in our problem-solving process. Just think of the problems you've solved recently. You might have prayed for God to help give you a solution, but after the solution was implemented, did you pray over the solution? 
I know that one got me. I remember after I graduated high school, I moved away from home to intern at a church in a different state. It was an internship that I had to pay for, and I also had to pay for my food and gas for my car and things like that. You know how it goes. So I prayed that God would open up an opportunity for me to be able to work. And I only had one day a week that was available that I wasn't interning. So I prayed and I prayed and I asked God for him to bring me a job that I could work for one day a week that would help me financially. And God opened up the doors and I was able to start working in an office, which was actually in a diamond shop, which was pretty cool. <laughs> but once I got the job, I don't think I prayed about it anymore. I might have prayed to thank God for the opportunity, but I just accepted the job as a solution to my financial problem and didn't continue to pray for it. Now, I can't tell you that my experience at that job was bad or anything like that, but I'll also never be able to tell you of how God could have used me in that place if I had continued to pray over my solution. We'll never know what could have happened. And I don't want you to find yourself in that situation or imagining what could have happened if I prayed. So I don't know what solutions you find your, or situations you find yourself in and what problems you're praying for solutions for, but once you find your solution, keep praying over it. For example, maybe you're a parent and your kids are causing problems. So you decide that grounding them is the solution. I would just encourage you to pray over that grounding. <laughs> Ask God to touch your kids' lives, even while they're grounded. <laughs> Ask God to teach your kids and to soften their hearts and to fill them with His love. I can't promise you that everything's just gonna change and everything's gonna be different and you're gonna have little angel children, but why not invite God's power into the situation? Whatever you do, don't be a problem avoider. Decide to face problems head on and be a problem solver. People who deliberately decide to become problem solvers lead better. And maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really consider myself a leader. But you could be. This world needs godly leaders who solve problems when they arise. Maybe you'll be a leader in the church, or a leader at your school, or a leader in your workplace. Or maybe you'll be a leader among your friend group or just a leader in your home. It's all important. But we have to choose to be problem solvers. The church must be a problem-solving community. God has called us to be leaders in our community and in the world. In fact, in Matthew 5, Jesus was teaching a crowd of people and he tells them, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. And a few verses down, it says, 
God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Those who hunger and thirst for justice and those who work for peace sound a lot like problem solvers to me. We must desire justice and work to be peacemakers in our world. When we do, it says that we will be blessed by God and we will be satisfied and we will be called God's children. So let's do it. After we've chosen to become problem solvers, we must address issues publicly when necessary. We as the church can't just sweep problems under the rug. They have to be addressed in order to correct the situation and also to honor those who have felt hurt or neglected. But let's not only talk about the problems. Let's find solutions. Let's ask God for help and for wisdom. And let's get creative. We have only just begun to scratch the surface of possible solutions to all the problems we face. We serve a creative God. So let's get creative with our solutions. And when we find a solution, let's continue to pray and ask God's blessing to be upon that solution. Now, as we close today, I would like to pray for us because I know that facing problems can be difficult and even terrifying sometimes. But remember that you are never alone. Just like the 12 apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit with you to guide you and to lead you. Plus, God has called you to be brave and bold. It can be easy to see all the problems that our world is facing when you watch the news or see anything in the media, and it's easy to feel overwhelmed and feel like all we want to do is just hide from it all. But the world needs the church to rise up as a community of problem solvers that doesn't run from hard problems, but are actually the ones who offer solutions when things get tough. Never let fear hold you back and never let the enemy distract you from the plans God has for you. Let's all choose to be problem solvers, even when it's hard. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I ask for everyone who's watching this video, Lord, that you would fill them with your peace. I know that sometimes this world seems like it just gets too crazy for us to even handle. But Lord, I just pray for your peace. And I pray for your holy boldness to come over our church. That people would rise up to be problem solvers in our world. That we would be a blessing to those around us because we don't hold back and hide, but we go out and we face problems head on. And we're there to offer solutions and to bring restoration through your power, God. I pray right now, Lord Jesus, that you would use me, that you would use Santa Maria Foursquare to be your peacemakers in the world. 
and to be those who would say yes to being a problem-solving community. Now give us your wisdom, God. Fill us with your spirit and help us to make the right choices as we say yes to you. We thank you, Lord God, for your power. We thank you for your love and your mercy as we walk this out. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go out and tackle some hard problems. Let's do it, church. We're in this together. We love you.